0: All right. Good morning, everybody. Anybody feeling a little nervous right now? Anybody have kind of clammy hands watching that, right? Who's up for doing that after the service today? Anybody? Okay. Seven of you. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Looks a lot of fun, right? In order to do something like that, you have to be all in, right? Like this guy down here, he's like, yeah, you do it. Not me, right? You have to be all in, right? Everybody say all in. All in, in, right? If you think about it, There's a lot of things in our lives that require you to be all in, right? Think about marriage, right? Marriage is an all-in proposition. Parenting, for those of you that have kids, right? You are all in. There's some days where you don't feel like being all in, right? But you are all in for that, right? Following Jesus is no different. We are called to be all in. In right, you can you can tell by the way that people spend their time and their energy and their priorities and and, and what they think about, what they talk about, what they celebrate, what gets your affection? That's what you're all in for. Everybody say all in. in. And the question I want to ask you this morning is, excuse me, it just gets me all choked up. What would it look like to go all in for Jesus? What would it look like to do that for Jesus? And not when you feel like it or when it's convenient or not just in the in-season the in times of our lives, but what would it look like to go all in for Jesus no matter what season it is? And that's a particularly important question for us today. Many of you have been very, very busy now as we were head first into the summer, uh, diving in. I, I think May is like the new December. It just feels like it, right? There's confirmations and graduations and Mother's Day and Memorial Day and all sorts of celebrations, graduations, everything like that. There's a reason to celebrate, and there's a reason that, that our schedules kind of get out of out of whack and everything like that but the danger is is that summer with it comes kind of a laid-back lifestyle our schedules change a little bit and it's kind of easy to let the laid-back relaxed lazy nature of summer kind of creep into our spiritual lives a little bit and there's nothing bad about that I love summer anybody love summer who loves summer everybody okay the rest of you that didn't raise your hands I guess prefer negative 50 in January that's awesome you're true Iowans, that's great, right? We love summer, and don't get me wrong, enjoy summer. Enjoy it, enjoy it, enjoy it. But God's Word has some encouragement and some challenge for us as we enter into this season. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 11. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. I didn't do my homework this week and look up the exact definition of further, but somebody told me in between the services, literally, to have fervor means that you're like a to boil over. You're like a boiling pot, right? That it comes up from inside of you to have a spiritual fervor, okay? So if you need a a gland, what, what is fervor? I don't know exactly, but it's this. Yeah, it's that. It's keeping that going, whatever that is, that spiritual momentum, that passion, that energy, all year round. Hebrews puts it a different way in chapter 12, and let's read this nice and loud with a lot of yeah, with a lot of spiritual fervor this morning. Let's read it together. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. In other words, don't be the sum. Don't be the sum that just says, well, you know, it's summer, so I'll just kind of change my patterns and my rhythms a little bit. So hear me say this. By all means, enjoy the summer. Take a vacation. Rest. Take naps. Enjoy the outdoors. Spend time relaxing by all means, but not at the expense of losing your passion for Jesus and your regular weekly worship. Amen? That's what scripture is challenging with us. God is not a seasonal God. God does not take the summer off, and so neither do we. Amen? That's what we're called to do, to be all in regardless of the season. And you guys, it's going to be an awesome summer. I can't wait. I've never looked forward to a summer at church as much as I have this one. There's so much going on to get involved with. A lot of churches just kind of like, well, everybody's gone for the summer, so we just kind of shut it down, right? The last few weeks, it's been hard to find a seat. Around here, last week people were sitting out in the vestibule to the bathrooms back there. We're just packing people in wherever they can, so we don't shut it down. If anything, we're ramping it up. And really, there's something for all ages this summer. Summer Hope Kids starts uh, started today, actually last night. Every Saturday and Sunday morning, so you don't have to take a break. Bring your kids to worship every single week. Vacation Bible School is coming the end of July. I can't wait uh, for that. It's going to be awesome. If you haven't signed up to volunteer, you get your kids registered. Do that. Uh, Revive, as Chris said, continues every single Tuesday night for those of you uh, in that 2030s uh, stage of life. uh, There's a women's study starting in July with our book, uh, Study of the Book of Esther. There's Marriage Night this Friday, those two men's groups that are starting here in just a couple weeks. And that is just skimming the surface, okay? So, needless to say, May was awesome. June's going to be even more amazing. And so, we invite you to be all in and come along for the ride because, folks, we're just getting started. Turn to the person next to you and say, Friend, we're just getting started. Tell them that right now. We're just getting started. We are just getting started. And that starts this weekend. We are kicking off a brand new sermon series on the book of 1 and 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take those out. We encourage you to do that. If you don't have one, grab one uh, on your way out so you can bring it with you next week. We're starting a brand new series today for the month of June. We're going to be in the books of 1 and 2 Samuel the entire month of June and every single one of our uh, sermon titles has to have a hashtag in front of it in case you want to tweet about it. There you go, life lessons from King David. We're going to be all looking at the life of King David. David. And that starts today with kind of a, a behind-the-scenes look a little bit. Our creative team took some liberties over here on the stage, and they've kind of set the stage for us of David's uh, David's office, David's bedroom, his, his, his area where he sits on the throne over there as king. Those are actual artifacts from Israel that they went. I'm just kidding, right? That'd be awesome if they were, right? But they kind of set the stage for we know David becomes king, but today we're going to look at almost the, the, the prequel, the story before the story of how we got to the place that we were. And I know a lot of times, just at the offset here, uh, does anybody struggle with the Old Testament? I, I do, right? The, the New Testament's kind of easy to understand. It's pretty straightforward. It's the Gospels. It's the letters of the early church. The Old Testament can seem very, very odd. And you probably heard that in some of the, the stories and the, the, the names today. It's, it's hard to understand, Right? Here's the thing that, I, that I've discovered I think you'll be surprised by with the Old Testament. For as old as it is, and it may seem like it's out of date and irrelevant, there are two things that haven't changed since the Old Testament happened. Number one is human nature. The ability that we have to run away from God and choose our own way. And the second thing that hasn't changed is God's nature. And God's character—that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever—and so I think you will be shocked and genuinely surprised at how relevant the books in First and Second Samuel are. And so, if you have your Bibles, open up to First Samuel chapter 16. First Samuel chapter 16. You notice it's First and Second Samuel—they were originally written as one continuous book. But you want to know honestly why they got divided up? They ran out of space on the scroll. Isn't that funny? Like, they just ran out of space like, well, 2 Samuel, right? But they were written as one continuous book. Samuel tells the story of King David, but before that, how we got there. And really, these two books center on this one question that I want to ask you this morning. What is God looking for? What type of a man or woman does God desire? Who does God want us If you go back a few slides, I think we'll pose that question there. What type of a person is God looking for? Who is God looking for when he looks truly at who we are? What is God looking for? Now, depending on your church background, there might be a lot of different answers to that. Some of you that grew up in the church, unfortunately grew up in a church culture where maybe the most important thing that you could do was get really busy for God. I mean, that's the ultimate goal. And some of you bring that here to our community as well. Saying, I'm I'm sure what God wants us to do is just to serve and to volunteer and to get really, really involved. And that's the number one most important thing that I could do is be busy for God. Okay? I don't see that in God's word. The other thing some people think is, well, maybe God's desire is that I'm just really, really nice. God wants us to be good, moral people. Right? And we've talked about this before. That as you look at the story, it is very clear. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people come to life. Amen? Amen? That's his primary concern. It's not behavior modification. It's heart transformation, right? So that's not what God's after either. He, he must be after something deeper. Every single one of us knows the man or woman that we are today, and then every single one of us, whether we say it out loud or not, has a picture of the future, this image of who will be here in a couple years, in a couple months, in a decade, when we get older, when we grow up, whatever that is. We have a picture of the man or woman of God that we want to be. So we kind of have a here, and then we have a there. And that version of us that, you know, is their marriage looks like this, or their friendships look like this, or their job looks like this, or they're successful like this, or my body image looks like this. And we all have an ideal picture of who we're supposed to be. My question for you is, does your vision for the future you align with God's vision for the future you? Have you asked God what the most important thing that you could be doing right now is? Have you asked God who he wants you to become? Or are you just really, really concerned with your own agenda? What type of a person is God looking for? And the answer we're going to find in our story today might surprise you. So if you have your Bibles open, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel is way back in the Old Testament. It's about a, I don't know, a fourth of the way through your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 16. If you've got it, say, I got it. Got it. All right. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. We're going to read this, and then we'll back up. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way, for I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be Now, if you were to just open up your Bible and read that, you would kind of feel like you arrived at a movie about a half an hour late, right? Anybody ever done that? You got to a movie a few minutes late and you're like, what is going on, right? I need some context. I need to know what's going on here. So a jet tour of the Old Testament so far, kind of in a, a visual standpoint, right? God's people are called Israel. Everybody say Israel. Israel. It's where they're from and it's their name. They are the Israelites. They are God's chosen people, Well, we know way back when we meet Moses, right, God's people are not in the promised land yet. They are slaves where? Egypt, right? Hey, we're doing a little Bible study. Everybody can participate today, all right? They are slaves in Egypt. Well, Moses comes along and leads God's people out of Egypt. It takes a long time. They kind of take the roundabout way through the desert, and eventually they get to this place called the promised land, right? Now, you would think that when they get to the promised land that everything would be good, but that's where everything starts to go haywire. So they have these people that are leaders that are called the judges. Everybody say judges. They have these judges, and they're not judges with a, you know, a gown and a, and a gavel and things like that. Judges were essentially the leaders of God's people, the appointed leaders for that time. Well, during this time of the judges, God's people continue to drift farther and farther from God's commands. I mean, you could say it was like Israel gone wild, okay? Like they, they ran away from God, they had idols, they worshipped idols, and you could say that it was moral chaos. Everybody say chaos, chaos, right? During that time of the judges, it was moral chaos. And so God's people realized this is not working. We need some stability. We need some leadership, and so we want a king, And so God says, fine. God gives us free will, right? And so the people say, we want a king, and we want a king that we can respect that's like us, and his name is King Saul. Everybody say Saul. Well, the problem with Saul is that he had it all together on the outside. But on the inside, where it matters, he lacked integrity. Integrity is when your outside doesn't match your inside. And maybe, just maybe, that's what God is concerned about. Because the problem is, under King Saul, everything's working well on the outside. He's strong, and he's brave, and he's handsome, and he's a warrior, and everything like that. And they're winning these great battles. But on the inside, Saul's heart is wandering farther and farther from God. And so God's like, I need to get this guy replaced, because we are going down a dead-end road as a nation. And so God brings along this prophet named Samuel. Everybody say Samuel. His buddies call him Sam. And so he, he steps in, and God says to Samuel we need to find a new king. I want you to appoint a new king. And that's essentially where we pick up the story today in chapter 16. If you need a visual image and now we're gotten to this point. If you need a visual image of 1st and 2nd Samuel, you could almost look at it like this. It is the rise and fall of two different kings. We'll get to David's, but 1st Samuel is essentially the rise and the fall of Saul. So this is 1st Samuel. And this is Saul, okay, King Saul. He rises to power and then the decline. And as Saul is declining in power, the new king is rising to power. And we know that as King, whoops, if I could spell King David, right? And this is 2 Samuel, okay? So if you had a visual image of that, it's the rise and fall of King Saul and the rise. And then I won't do a spoiler alert just yet, right, for King David and what happens with him. And that's kind of where we pick up the story Today. God has sent Samuel to Jesse's house. Okay, everybody say Jesse. Okay, Samuel's the prophet, Jesse's the dad, and Jesse has seven strapping young sons. Okay, and so Samuel sends word to Jesse I'm coming and I'm gonna appoint, I'm gonna anoint one of your sons as the future king of Israel. Okay, so now think about this. If you are Samuel and you're going to check out all these guys and saying, I wonder. Who would God want in a king? You're probably looking for the strongest, the tallest, the oldest, the wisest, all these outward things, right? But he's about to be surprised, okay? Look at verse 6, okay? When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord, okay? Apparently, Eliab was like this macho man, right? But watch how God responds when Samuel makes this snap judgment. Okay, But the Lord said to Samuel, okay? So just before I read this, just so you know, you're not confused. Samuel as a prophet is the spokesperson for the Lord. So he's having a horizontal human-to-human conversation with Jesse, and he's having a vertical, okay, Samuel with God conversation with God, okay? So he's having two separate conversations at the same time, and God literally scolds him on the spot. Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And then the most important verse in the entire book is right here. Let's read it together on the screen. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So almost simultaneously, God is teaching Samuel a lesson he'll never forget, and he's teaching us a lesson we should not forget. Remember my question at the beginning? What kind of a person is God looking for? What kind of a man or woman is God looking for? God says, what I'm most concerned about is who you're becoming on the inside, not just the image that you project on the outside. Maybe what people can see. Anybody can put on a face or a show. Not everybody is the real deal on the inside. And God says, I am way more concerned with you being a man or woman of integrity Where your inside matches the outside and vice versa, than I am about your ability to put on a front or your ability to put on a show. God says, above all else, I want your heart to be all in. I want your heart to be fully mine. And in verse 7, God is teaching us in Samuel this lesson don't judge too quickly. Anybody ever had one of those moments where you looked at a person or a group of people and you just made a snap judgment about them? Just raise your hand. Anybody? Or am I the only one, right? If you don't have your hand up, you're lying. You're in church, by the way, okay? We all make judgments. We all have preconceived ideas, and it's usually a kind of an us and them thing or those types of people, right? We've all done it, okay? Oh, you know, those homeless people are all like that. The poor people are like that. Rich people are like that, right? Oh, you know, those liberals are like that. Those conservatives are like that, right? Those suburban people are like that. All those urban downtown people are like whatever it is, right? Millennials are like this, right? Baby boomers are all like this. Whatever the, the group is, we have all made preconceived judgments based on our own assumptions rather than taking the time to see people for who they truly are. But God is concerned about the heart. Let me ask you this. When you think about the amount of time that you spend on yourself, how much of that time is spent on developing your outward appearance, what people will see? And what percentage of that time is developing your heart, your character, your integrity? How much time do you spend thinking and worrying about what everybody else is going to see and think about you compared to what God thinks about you? How's that? Is it, is it, is it 50-50? Is it 70-30? Probably for a lot of us, Not even that close. Well, not just us and Samuel in this passage, but the whole nation got a little lesson in not judging by mere appearances this last week. I don't know if you've seen this video, but it's from the show America's Got Talent. I don't know if any of you watch America's Got Talent, but there's this video that has gone viral of this 22 year old young man named Cody Lee, okay? And he's a piano player, right? But as you watch this next video, he steps on and, and, you know, they've got all these amazing acts and musicians and this talent show here that's televised in front of the entire country. And when Cody and his mom walk on the stage, just open up your heart a little bit and ask yourself, what are my preconceived ideas about Cody? What assumptions am I making? And secondly, God, what are you trying to show me through my assumptions? Men and women look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart of what's underneath on the inside. Let's take a look. I'm not crying. You're crying, right? Yeah. So be honest. What did you think when Cody walked out on the stage? No way, right? Men and women judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Why has that gotten millions and millions and ten billions of of views on YouTube? Because it's a feel-good story? Mm, It's deeper than that. I think it's because every single one of us sees ourselves in Cody. Because every single one of us longs to be seen for who we truly are not what the world has judged us by. And some of you have a past. Some of you have a history. Some of you have limitations. And you have felt the judgments of people around you purely based on their assumptions of you. And I have to applaud Cody's mom for seeing the beauty and the light and the joy inside of him and calling it out and saying you are more than what the world thinks of you. And those of you who parents know that desire, you want to give your kids everything. Can you imagine what your heavenly father feels? This is not in my notes, but I just feel like some of you need to hear this this morning. God sees you. For all of your mistakes and all of your limitations and all of your handicaps, whatever they might be, God sees you for who you really are. And you may not be able to sing like Cody, But God has given you gifts, and God has given you a heart that the world desperately needs. Let's be the kind of church that calls that out of people. I love the whole video. One of my favorite parts is the the Holy Spirit conviction that's going on in the judges' faces, right? The second that Cody opens his mouth, like whenever you can surprise Simon Cowell, that's a good thing, right? Just like, huh, right? What? Don't judge by mere appearances, and nobody knows that better than Samuel, so here's Samuel, right, and I tell you, show you that to tell you this, it's not America's Got Talent, but in our story, it's Bethlehem's Got Talent, okay, you continue on in the story, okay, and Jesse's there with six out of his seven sons, and they know Jesse's here to pick, you know, he's, he's there, he's the judge, okay, Samuel is one of the talent judges, and he's here to pick the next king. And so you can imagine, I just imagine the six, you know, sons, they're like, i got to make a really good impression. And so they all kind of like strut in front of of Samuel, and they're like, (laughs) right, you know, showing off, flexing, like, pick me, pick me, right, that whole thing, right? And one by one, they parade in front of Samuel. He's like, nope, nope, that's not it, that's not it. And then we get to verse 11. Samuel asks, Jesse, the dad. Are these all the sons that you have? You know, I can imagine David so far from Jesse's mind. He's like, oh, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six. Uh, oh yeah, there is one more, but <laughs> he's out in the field, you know, taking care of the sheep and goats, right? The youngest, right? And we know him as David. And this, there's a, a movie. This is like the dun-dun-dun part, right? Because you can see what's coming. God is stacking up this whole list of reasons why David should not be the king if we were judging by human standards, if we were judging by mere appearances. But what God is doing is, if you look at the story and you look at the timeline, here's what happened, okay? Your hearts are far from me in the time of the judges. Your hearts are far from me, King Saul. I'm not going down that road again. I'm looking for a different kind of king, okay? Think how clear God is making this, that it's not about what the world sees. Number one, David was the youngest. Other theological translations will translate youngest as smallest, depending on which translation you read. David is the youngest, he's the smallest. Number two, you can clearly tell that David was not the favorite of his family. You can tell how much his dad thought of him, that he heard Samuel was coming to look for a king and he didn't even invite him, right? Well, I'm sure he's not gonna pick David, so you just stay out there in your day job, right? So he didn't even bring David to the feast. Number three, What is David's job? Tending sheep. This was known as the servant's job. And what makes it even more mind boggling is that clearly, number four, David is not from a wealthy family. Most kings come from a long lineage of a royal family, okay? Most kings don't come from scoop and poop behind sheep, okay? This was the servant's job, and clearly they are not a wealthy family, or they would have had the servant doing it. And last but not least, To stack the odds against David, scholars will say that at the time that Jesse found David here and anointed him, he was probably between the ages of ten and fifteen. That is the ages of our Power Life students and our Ignition students from our student ministry that are serving today. So, if you need a biblical example that teenagers are called to serve, it's right there and it's right here today. So, praise God for our our servant leaders, our students who are serving today. So that's awesome. Praise God for them. Awesome. So verse 12, so he went for him and had him brought in, brought David in. Okay, now pay attention to these details. Listen to this. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features, which is so ironic because that's what Tiffany tells me every morning when she sees me. It's right there. So ladies, if you're looking for something to write on a Father's Day card, just put it right there, okay? That was for free. You didn't have to pay for that, okay? (laughs) Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil. Okay, this is why we anoint people when they're baptized. Say you've been set apart, okay? Took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Can you imagine in this moment, okay, in that moment of the anointing, can you imagine the look on Jesse the dad's face? Like, just like Simon's huh? What? Right? Can you imagine all the brothers that are looking at their scrawny youngest brother who's getting anointed as the next king of Israel going, what? Right? Like, what about us and my chiseled frame? Like, you're not interested in that, right? What? There was lots of young men in the nation of Israel. There was a lot of shepherd boys. So why did God choose David? Why did God choose David? Well, we have to go back a couple chapters to chapter 13, verse 14. And Samuel is speaking to Saul, the current king, okay? And listen to what Samuel tells Saul. The Lord has sought out a man, read what's in that yellow with me, after his own heart and appointed him as ruler of his people. Talk about a smack in the face for Saul. Yeah, God's kind of moving on. He needs a king that has a heart that is surrendered to him, a man after his own heart. And I know it's kind of challenging sometimes to think about David because I don't think there's any of us that are planning on being a king anytime soon or ruling a nation. And so it's like, how can I possibly relate to David, right? Well, here's how. God says it plain and clear in his appointing of David. You can rack up all the titles and positions and power and wealth and popularity that you want. God says, I'm after men and women whose hearts are fully mine, that are all in. And for how great David is, sometimes it's hard to relate, but there are some keys, some lessons that we can learn, just like our sermon title, like Life Lessons from King David, right here as a preteen boy that we can emulate. So what can we learn from David? Why was David a man after God's own heart, even as a teenager at such a young age? Well, number one, David was humble. Everybody say humble. humble. David was humble. Now, stereotypes aside, but stereotypes are based on reality, okay? A lot of us are Midwesterners, we're Lutherans, and we're Scandinavians. You put those three three things together, and the reality is we're stubborn sometimes, and we have a really low self-image of ourselves, okay? We have an aw-shucks mindset when it comes to people complimenting us or saying nice things about us, and we're like, oh, well, God wants me to be humble, so I I, I need to to, to self-degrade myself. I need to talk down myself. And we think that that's what humility is, is belittering Belittling ourselves, I don't see that anywhere in the Bible as a definition of humility. I love how one of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, puts it. puts it this way: Humble men and women do not have a low opinion of themselves; they have no opinion of themselves. The heart of humility lies in undivided attention to God. Okay, humility doesn't mean I have to tear myself down. Right? You're not junk. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mistakes. And when you hate the person that you look at in the mirror, what does that say about the God that created you? Nowhere in David's story, after he gets anointed king, do we see David say, "Oh shucks. I'm just a lowly servant boy. I don't deserve it. I'm a terrible young man. Nowhere do we see that. David is strong. He's confident. And his humility comes not in his confidence in himself, but in his confidence in God through him. Humility means my eyes are off of me and on Jesus. I'm not talking down to myself. I don't, it's not self-hatred. That's not humility. True humility is keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus. David was a very, very confident man who didn't need the world's validation to know who he was. And maybe some of you have discovered this The more secure you are in your identity in God, the less you need to flaunt or promote yourself or need attention. It's often the people that are flaunting themselves and promoting themselves and talking the most and bragging the most are the most insecure people in the room. Because they are craving, craving the validation of everybody else except the one opinion that matters. David was not insecure. He was rooted in his identity in God. And he was living for an audience of one. So when the promotions and the accolades come, they're great, and you receive them, but you don't need them to fill that ache inside. Luke 14, verse 11, puts it this way. Let's read it together up on the screen. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's David. That's David's story. Why is God after people that are humble? With no humility, there's no relationship, and that's what God wants from you. Without humility, there's no relationship. Without humility, there's no communication, right? I don't know if anybody is looking for a spouse here today. You're looking to start a relationship. You kind of have your priority list for who you're going to marry, okay? If you ask me what should my priority list should be for a mate or somebody that I'm looking for, number one, do they love Jesus? Number two, are they humble? Number three, are they humble? Number four, are they humble? And number five, are they humble, okay? Okay? That'd be my list, okay? Without humility, you have two people that are stuck in their ways, and there is no relationship. When you don't think you have anything to grow in or anything to learn, you're stuck. Some of you aren't looking for a spouse. You have one. You're in a marriage. What it takes for reconciliation is the power of the Holy Spirit and two humble people saying, I really need Jesus in this relationship. Are you looking, trying to decide who your friend should be? Trying to decide on a best friend? Humility. Above all else, humility. How do we know that David was humble? The next chapter, David gets called into the king's quarters of King Saul, his arch nemesis, the king that he's going to replace. David knows he's going to be the future king, and he has every right to be cocky. And yet David takes his harp, he's known as a good musician and worship leader, and goes in and plays for King Saul to alleviate his stress and the demons that he's struggling with. How do we know that David was humble? He was willing to serve his enemies. Do you have a heart like David? Do you have a humble heart? David knew that godly men and women have no problem taking the low seat at the table. Because in time, God will put me where he wants me and I don't need to self-promote or elevate myself or put myself out there to be noticed. He already notices me. And I have all the love and the affection and the approval of my Father in heaven, and I don't need to go craving it from everybody else, even my spouse, even my friends, because I've got it. When I get it, that's great. But your spouse is not God, and they're never going to be, and they're never going to fill you up in that way. David had this identity rooted in God. Number one, David was humble. Number two, David was faithful. Everybody say faithful. Faithful. Think back to the story during the uh, Bethlehem talent show there with all the brothers. Where was David when Samuel called him? Where was David? What was he doing? He was in the field, right? Tending the sheep, right? He was doing his job. David was doing small things behind the scenes with excellence. If I had a a challenge or encouragement for those of you that are in that young adult, young professional stage of life, 20s, 30s, 40s, when you're in that stage of life, if there's anything that I feel like God has taught me during this last decade of going through that season of my life, it's this, do the little things behind the scenes with excellence. Do the little things behind the scenes with excellence. And use these decades, even as a teenager, God was forming this in David. So those of you students, don't wait. God was using these decades to prepare David's character that could sustain his calling. Some of you are like, oh, I can't wait till I get that job, or I graduate college, or I get married, or I get that perfect job, or that house, or that car, or these friendships, or I get married, or whatever it is. Then God can really use me. God says, no, 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 I was training a shepherd's heart in David at age 12 so that he could shepherd the nation of Israel when he got there. Don't underestimate the process. Don't underestimate the process. When you don't know what God wants you to do, focus on becoming who God wants you to be. And that applies not just for young adults and 20-somethings and 30-somethings, wherever you're at. Some of you are stuck today. You're stuck in a relationship, you don't know what to do. You're stuck in what you feel like is a dead-end job. You're stuck with a medical diagnosis that you or your family's, you're stuck and you don't know what to do. Some of you are in transition. Some of you are waiting for something to change. When you don't know what God wants you to do, focus on becoming who God wants you to be. Focus on the heart. When God came looking for David, he was looking for somebody that he could trust. Are you the type of person that's the same person behind the scenes as in front of the scenes? Are you a man or woman of integrity? That's who God is looking for. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 25, Well done. In the parable of the talents, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things, therefore, I will put you in charge of many things. Be a great mom, be a great dad, be a faithful, excellent grad student, be a rock star teenager. Whatever God has called you to be, be faithful in it. Be a man or woman of integrity right now. Don't wait because God is building your character. David was humble. David was faithful. And last but not least, David had a servant heart. David had a servant heart. The role of a shepherd was by no means glamorous. You just kind of lead sheep around and scoop up poop all day. Like not a lot of people wanted to do that, right? But he was willing to do it. And in case you thought the role of a shepherd was for wimps, right? What does David later say on, say later on when he's uh, not afraid of Goliath? He's like, I can take this giant. Why? Because I've killed bears and lions with my bare hands, okay? So David might have been young and small, but he wasn't a wimp. But he was doing a servant's job in a minimum wage role. Even later on when he's summoned to go play for Saul, there's no hesitation in David. Why? Because his heart was surrendered to God. When surrender is a habit, service is a reflex. When your heart is surrendered to God, the most natural thing that you're going to do, the most natural reflex is going to be to serve. I don't have to, if my heart's surrendered to God, I'm not going to think about whether I'm going to serve other people. I don't have to think about whether I, I, should, I should look to somebody else's needs Besides, I don't have to think about whether I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and do something that might inconvenience me a little bit. My heart surrendered to Jesus, and if he calls me to do it, if he calls me to serve, I'm going to serve. I'm not even going to think about it because I'm not, my eyes aren't on me. They're on him. And so my question for you this morning is, do you have a heart like David's, humble? Is your heart soft and teachable, faithful, servant-hearted? When I think about that, that's a great description of you. And I'm not just buttering you up here this morning. Like, that's what I really think about you. When I go and I speak other places and other churches and tell people and friends and family, like, what is Hope Des Moines like? I say that. I say they're humble. They're so faithful. They're servant-hearted. And, man, do they eat a lot of donut holes. That's what I tell them, right? (laughs) You are an incredible church, and you get it because you have the heart of David, Because you serve and nobody has to to tell you that. And when I think about that group of people, usually one of the first groups that come to mind are these people sitting around you today in those blue shirts. In the dark blue shirts, the hospitality shirts, no, they're not Best Buy employees. They are servant leaders. They are on the hospitality team here at Hope Des Moines, and they are my heroes. They do a fantastic job, and there are people in this church that serve every single week because they believe that's who God has called them to be. Can we give God praise for our hospitality team this morning, wherever they are, all around here? Absolutely. They're absolutely incredible, and we really could not do it without them. We need you. And so the last few weeks, we caught up with a lot of them, and we just asked them, why do you serve? Why do you serve? And as you watch this video, as some of the people that are sitting around you today ask the question, God, what are you saying to me? God, what are you stirring up in me? God, what do you need to change so that my heart is a little bit more surrendered to you this morning about servant leadership? Let's take a look at some of our team. I'm Holly Kasich. My name is Beverly Foley. Hi, I'm Brianna Elam. And hi, I'm Lloyd. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Foley. Hi, my name is Craig. Hi, my name is Iris. Hi, I'm Barb. I'm Brian Honold. And I'm Beth Honold. I serve because it's fun. I enjoy the community. I love the love of people that I'm sharing with. I serve, I think, to feel a part of something bigger, and I People, um, which is wonderful. It's to give a little something back to the church that's given so much to not only me, but both of us as well. And I started serving really just to get involved and to meet additional people. Even after being here for so long, I, I still felt like there was a lot of people I didn't know, and so I wanted the opportunity to, to jump in and be able to meet new people. I serve because I feel like it's my calling as a believer in Jesus to do so, and I also love it. I feel His love for out of me when I do it and love getting to know people in the community as well. I think for me, being honest, just the first take on the donuts really helps a lot. But <laughs> more importantly, I think that the truest expression of love is one who came and died for us because he loved us. And so every week you go through all the fire that, that you go through from Monday through Saturday to be able to come and be able to give what was given to you that blessing through the week is my serve. And for me, it's really been bringing Christianity alive. I really feel like they can be the hands and feet of Christ and meet each person as they are, as they come in the door. If you're thinking about volunteering, I think that you should definitely do it because we definitely need volunteers. And it's also a great opportunity to get to know your community. Like I said, I do things that come easily to me, so they're fun and get involved. You know, I think you can say you're too busy to do a lot of things, but it's something um, you know where your where your treasure is, there your heart is also, and so it's something that we wanted to make sure that we made a priority that, regardless of how busy we are, we had you know an hour or two once a month, and it's really just that an hour or two once a month, and that's all. It's really the most exciting hour of my week. I have a stressful job, I have a long day like everybody else does, but when I come, then I can meet people where they are and get them to service, have them enjoy their day. It's really the best part of the They just jump right in. It's a, it's a great opportunity. You'll never have any regrets about it. Being part of a community. If you want to go somewhere where everybody knows your name and you don't have to be anybody special, sir. Awesome. Let's give God praise for our hospitality team. Absolutely. So many awesome people. And there's a couple things in that video that are so clear to me. Number one, there are people serving in this church from every age and season of life. In season and out of season, no matter what time the year is, all in for Jesus, all in for serving. And number two, it is so clear to me, there is so much joy in serving. I don't hear any duty. I don't hear any I should. I don't hear any guilt. I don't hear any pressure. It is all overflowing from this David-like heart, this servant heart. where my heart is surrendered to God. Of course I'm going to serve at my church. This is who we are. It's not something you do. Servants are who we are. This is who God created us to be. And I can honestly say that's one of the things that I love, not just about our hospitality teams, but our children's team that's serving right now, those watching your young ones in the nursery, those that serve and get here, two and a half hours before any of us in the morning to serve breakfast to our guests from the community. There is so much joy. Those who have the most joy at Hope Des Moines serve, and it is natural and it is overflowing, and they've discovered this. When you do the right thing for the right reason, you get the right reward. If you're trying to do it to get recognized, if you're trying to do it because it's your Christian duty and you should, please don't. (laughs) Please don't serve. Because we don't want there to be one ounce of duty or guilt or obligation. If you feel pressured into something, absolutely don't do it. And that goes for giving financially or serving your time or talents or whatever it is. Give out of the joy and the abundance of your heart. You'll get the right reward. And we don't want you to miss out on that joy. And I will tell you this, and I think that I can, I can speak for all of our campuses. Uh, one of the biggest myths One of the biggest misconceptions or lies that people believe about Lutheran Church of Hope is like, here's hope and we're growing and there's all these new people coming in and we see the chairs getting filled up and at our last service, there's people sitting in the lobby and back to the bathrooms. All these new people, well, I am sure that they've got it all covered. Nothing could be further from the truth. Let me just say that, right? Nothing could be further from the truth. There have been several weekends where we literally gone into the weekend with nobody to serve, one or two people for about 28 volunteer positions, okay? We need your help. This is who we are as a church, and I don't want you to miss out on that opportunity to serve. It's as easy as signing up and serving for an hour once a month. And the beauty of it is that we have three worship services, four if you include Revive during the week for you to catch and worship on Tuesday nights. Serve one and worship one. Serve one and worship one. And so many of you do that so well. But I want you to hear this way more than volunteering, way more than serving. I just want to ask you to look inside of your heart, say, do I have a heart like David's? And am I a man or woman after God's heart? Humble, faithful, servant-hearted. It's all throughout scripture. It's not just about volunteering. You start looking at some of Paul's writings to the early church in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Paul's sharing a list of the the characteristics of elders, you know, leaders in the church, the most mature people. And you would think in that list it would be like they're biblical scholars and they have the Bible memorized and they can pray all these high fluting prayers and everything like that. You don't want to know what's one of the ones that the characteristics at the top of that list? Hospitality. A heart that says the experience that people have walking through the doors of God's house is infinitely more valuable than me staying in my comfort zone or inconveniencing me. I am sold out for Jesus Christ. I am all in for the mission of the church. And if that requires me to get out of my comfort zone, if that requires me to be a little inconvenienced once in a while, I am willing to do whatever it takes. It's, one of, it's, it's maturity. It's one of the qualifications of a leader in the church. And that's why I've told our staff this dozens of times as your pastor and as your staff. I will never, ever be above setting up or taking down a table, setting up or taking down a chair, scraping some little kid's gum off the the floor, whatever it is. And why is that? Because as a leader, my leader is the chief servant. And when Jesus gathered his disciples, he got down on his hands and knees and took a basin and a bowl of water and a towel and washed the feet of his disciples, the God of the universe. What does that tell us? our leader is not above serving. Our leader is not above putting his comfort zone aside to do whatever it takes to model servant leadership for his church. That's why we serve. That's why we do what we do. To model that heart. And secondly, to model the heart of God, which is a welcoming heart. Remember the story in Luke 15? There's a father with two sons. And the younger son comes and gets his inheritance and runs away and squanders it on wild living sex drugs and rock and roll and everything in between and he feels terrible and he's like i gotta go back and he wonders i wonder what the welcome back will be like i wonder if i'll belong i wonder if my father will forgive me i wonder if there's a place for me here as we sang this morning earlier and can we just be honest for some of you you feel like the prodigal today For some of you, you're just getting back into church. For some of you, you're like, after the week I had, I didn't even know if I was going to show up at church because I feel so guilty. After the week that I had, after the mistakes that I've made, the things I'm struggling with, and you're just like that son, you're walking up, you're walking up the driveway, and in the distance, you see your father sitting up there on the porch. And the story goes like this. It says, while he was a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Put a ring on his finger, he said, and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf. and he, My son was dead, and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he was found. Some of you, I, I hear people say sometimes, oh, John. I'm just an usher, (laughs) I'm just a greeter, I just make coffee, I just help with Hope Kids, I just help in the nursery, I just a parking lot attendant, right? Nothing could be further from the truth. Every single one of us has the opportunity every week to be the prodigal's father standing on the front porch of God's house saying to every single person that comes walking through those doors, no matter who you are or where you've been or what you've done, welcome home. Welcome home. And we don't kill the fatted calf every week because that'd be weird, so we have donuts and coffee instead, right? But we have the opportunity to not stay on the porch but to run to people. We're not going to run to you and hug you and kiss you but to say, welcome home. You belong here. And that is way more important than me in my comfort zone. That is way more important than me having to get up a little bit earlier once a month. It is the most important thing we could do and is the heartbeat of this church to say that every single person is welcome. Not for the image that you have on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's why we serve, because our God is standing with open arms saying, welcome home. Welcome home. Amen? That's who we're called to be as a church, is to be front porch Christians. To be front porch Christians. That's why it's so important. And as God continues to grow us as a church, we need more servant leaders. Would you be those people? Would you continue to be that kind of a church? We've grown by 168 people in this church over the last 9 months. Praise God. And who's going to well yeah, praise God for that. Very little of that has to do with what they experience in the service. A lot of it has to do with what they feel the second they pull into that parking lot and when they walk in those doors. And so many of you have told me that. John, your sermons are, okay. But you know what they tell me? Man, I'm loved here. It actually looks like your volunteers want to be here. Yeah, because they do. They don't have to fake it because that joy is just bubbling up inside of them. We're front porch Christians. We're the prodigal father that says, welcome home. We're so glad that you're here, and we need your help in that. And that's why on every single one of your chairs today, there's a little card for the hospitality team. It looks like this. And you can see the different areas that we could really, really use your help to go all in for Jesus this summer as greeters, as ushers, coffee servers, welcome team, parking team, whatever it is. Would you consider that? Would you pray about that? You can email us, you can go to the website on the card, you can stop at the Welcome Center afterwards, and we would love to get you connected. Do it as a family. I am so proud of our junior high and senior high student ministry that serves every single month and sets an example for us here in the church. You guys are incredible. I am so thankful for you guys. You are awesome. Thank you for being that role model for us. And so as you look at that card, with no pressure and no guilt, Simply say, God, what do you want to do through me to build your kingdom here at Hope? Because I'm living for an audience of one. I'm not serving so that I get noticed. I'm not serving to fulfill my Christian duty. Forget that. Have a heart like David's. God, what do you want to do through me to build your kingdom here at Hope Des Moines? One weekend at a time. Amen? Let's stand and prepare our hearts for Holy Communion. It was on that night that he was betrayed that Jesus gathered with his friends, his disciples, and after setting that example and serving them by washing their feet, Jesus took the bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Take and drink. This is the new covenant of my blood. This is the extent that I'm willing to serve you, is to lay down my life for you, to have my blood be spilled for you. So take and drink. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we prepare our hearts for Holy Communion this morning, let's take a moment to come before our Father and pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. While you're standing and I have your attention, just a couple notes about communion. We want you to know that everybody is welcome to communion here at Hope, that desires to experience the love and grace of Jesus. And as I invite our, our ushers and communion assistants forward we want you to know that there'll be three stations up here at the front and so the ushers will lead you up when it's your turn you'll come up and receive uh, the wafer in your hand and you can dip it in the first cup the darker color which is the wine or the second cup the lighter color which is the grape juice and dip it and then you can return to your seat if you need allergy free elements those are available to my right to your left at this far station over here, and if you're upstairs, there'll be uh, 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 servants up there to help you, so you can just hang tight as well, and when you're done, just return around the outside of your seat, and then we'll all close in worship together. All is ready. Come and experience his grace. You may be seated.